Revelation, let's jump into the vision. Um, we've been unpacking each of these different sections. Um, last week we talked about where Jesus said to each of the churches, I know your deeds, and he gave them a little bit of an affirmation about I know, I know the things you're doing well, and I want to encourage you in those things. Today is the section for all of the different messages to all the different seven churches where Jesus says, this I have against you. Okay? So don't blame me. Okay? First service got done, and it was just like heavy in the room. And I was like, dang, I screwed up. <laughs> like, I should have made people happy. I should, but I'm just trying to teach the word. I'm trying to let the words of Jesus get out, get in, get all around, and all these things. And so if you leave here and you're like, man, that guy was a bummer, I kind of did my job. Because this is Jesus coming to the churches and saying, this is Jesus who's, who sees clearly coming to the churches and saying, you're not good at this. You're doing bad at this. I'm frustrated with you. I have this against you, is his words. So there you go. Get ready. Buckle in. Woo! Here we go. Yes, I'll need lots of encouragement today. Um, Revelation 2, 5 and 6 to the church in Ephesus. I have this against you. You have forsaken the love you had at first. Consider how far you have fallen. Repent and do the things you did at first. But you have this in your favor. You hate the practice of the Nicolaitans, which I also hate. Jesus hates the practices of the Nicolaitans. Revelation 2.10, do not be afraid of what you are about to suffer. I tell you, the devil will put some of you in prison to test you, and you will suffer persecution for 10 days, but be faithful. Revelation 2.14-15, nevertheless, I have a few things against you. There are some among you who hold to the teaching of Balaam, who taught Balak to entice the Israelites to sin so that they ate food, sacrificed to idols, and committed sexual immorality. Likewise, you also have those who hold to the teaching of the Nicolaitans, whom Jesus, he doesn't hate them. This is tricky. He hates the way of the Nicolaitans. They're teaching. Revelation 2, 20 through 25, nevertheless, I have this against you. Um, you tolerate that woman Jezebel, who calls herself a prophet. By her teaching, she misleads my servants into sexual immorality and the eating of food sacrificed to idols. I have given her time to repent of her immorality, but she is unwilling. So I will cast her on a bed of suffering, and I will make those who commit adulteries with her suffer intensely until they repent of, their way, of her ways. I will strike her children dead. Then all the children will know that I am he who searches hearts and minds, and I will repay each of you according to your deeds. Now I say to the rest of you in Thyatira, to you who do not hold to her teaching and have not learned Satan's so-called deep secrets, I will not impose any other burden on you except to hold on to what you have until I come. Next, I have found your deeds unfinished in my sight, um, in the sight of my God. Remember, therefore, what you have received and heard and hold fast to it and repent of all the new things that you're holding fast to. Uh, Revelation 3, 8, 9, I know that you have little strength and have to deal with those who are of the synagogue of Satan who claim to be Jews, though they are not, but are liars. Revelation 3, 15, I know your deeds, that you are neither hot nor cold. I wish you were either one of them. Um, so because you are lukewarm, neither hot or cold, I am about to spit you out of my mouth. You say, I am rich, I have required wealth and do not need a thing, but you do not realize that you are wretched, pitiful, poor, blind, and naked. So this is a segment 
from each of the message to the seven churches, a little segment in there that we're gonna unpack using the rest of Revelation um, and try and get this message of what Jesus is trying to teach that church so that we as a church today in 2021, um, going into 2022, can be a church that is... Uh, that Jesus doesn't have a lot against, but we're doing a good job. Um, to summarize all of that, we just read some verses. Um, God clearly hates tolerance of false teachings. <laughs> he hates it. He clearly hates teachings, false teachings, and he hates when we tolerate false teachings, false teachers. Heavy, very heavy. Because you are family members with some of them, maybe. And some of them might be in our church today. It's very heavy. Um, and, and also, the other message is he clearly wants us to cling and hold on to what we had at first, what we, was, what we have been given. And basically, this is, this is the gospel, right? This is the truth that brought you to a relationship with Jesus. You don't need to add to it. You don't need to change it. You need to cling to that. And there's gonna be temptation outside and inside your soul to, to add to it, to change it, to tweak it, to make it self-serving. Please don't do that. Cling to what is good. Let it be your guide. Don't tweak it. Don't change it. Um, so he comes against it and he says to um, the church in Ephesus, he affirms their hatred of the Nicolaitan practices. He chastises Pergamum for having some among them who hold to the teachings of Balaam and the Nicolaitans. He scolds Thyatira for tolerating a woman named Jezebel, a false prophet. He exhorts, exhorts Sardis to remember and hold fast on what they have received um, as opposed to adding to it or veering away from it. He commends those in Philadelphia who have kept his word and says he will deal with those of the synagogue of Satan who basically are posing as Jews, who are, sheep, who are, who are um, posing as sheep, but they're really wolves that are among them. He's going to deal with them. And, he, and he's disgusted with Laodicea's mixture of hot and cold um, and that they're deceived about the condition of their community, that they're not seeing themselves correctly. He has that against them. And in some ways, he's, he sees them as trying so hard to be cool with the world and be on fire for God. And he's like, it, it doesn't work. It's disgusting. It's not even worth like keeping in my mouth. It's like I have to puke it out when I see you try and be cool with the world and, and cool with me and on fire with me. Like, it doesn't, it doesn't work. It's like trying to swim holding a candle when your kids are around, you know? Like, it's just not going to work. You can't do it. They, they just don't go together. And, and the truth of this, the heaviness that, that comes in this is, is Jesus Christ was on fire for God, right? In a beautiful way. And, and he was crucified by the society that he lived in. And we have people all the time say, oh, the life of Jesus is so beautiful, it's so awesome. And, and it was, and it is true. And, and, we try and, and, and we try and tame it or kind of do something with it. But the truth of the matter is, is that Jesus' passion for living for the Father got him crucified by the religious leaders of that day.
and the political leaders of that day. And the people that followed closely in his footsteps, who practiced his way right after him, they were all killed as well. Because if we really want to practice the way of Jesus, we're ultimately going to find ourselves with great friction with the world around us and honestly, even with the desires within us that are disordered. There's just no other way to look at it and to understand it. So we got to talk about the false teachings that he's named, the teachings of Balaam, the teachings of Nicolaitans, the teachings of Jezebel. This is the least favorite part of, my, of the message today, so I hope you don't enjoy it either. Um, <laughs> yeah. um, the teachings of Balaam, teachings of Nicolaitan, teachings of Jezebel. So Jesus is actually naming specific teachings at this time that he does not want them to tolerate, that he sees as creeping in and causing um, bad things to happen in the community of faith. And, uh, and so we're going to name these things, we're going to un- unpack these things, and, and, and I think we're even going to try and name some things today that we might need to watch out that it's not creeping in among us. Um, and I'm not Jesus, so you definitely need to email me <laughs> if, if, if uh, you need some clarification or whatever. Um, because I'm learning just alongside all of us. And, uh, but it's really important that we figure out what we're supposed to not be tolerating, what's trying to find its way in and, uh, and stand against it. But these teachings specifically, um, the teaching of Balaam was gaining power over people by manipulating their temptations and disordered desires. Um, the teaching of the Nicolaitans, normalizing and celebrating the indulgence of desires, of all desires. No desire is disordered. It's, it's just authentic self. And the teaching of Jezebel is using womanhood or sexual allure to gain power over others. It's always just a power play. It, and, and, and the reason it's always a power play is because ultimately it's, 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 it's a form of, it's leading to idolatry. A lot of these had to do with sexual immorality, which led to idolatry. So basically now we're kind of worshiping something else besides God. We're looking to something else besides God to meet the needs that we have um, and it becomes a form of idolatry. So the teaching of the Nicolaitans, um, self-indulgence, uh, the teaching of Jezebel is basically like using womanhood or sexuality as a way to gain power um, and influence. And then the Nicolaitan or the, the Balaam is kind of this like brokering of deals um, that, that's, that's kind of causing people to give in to their um, vices so that you can gain power over them. Now, um, Again, just to make fun of big tech, because I love doing that, and I, and I, but I think there is some seriousness to it. Like, you know, they've, like, Facebook and a lot of those things, like, they've figured out how to create dopamine hits within your brain, right? So, like, they literally are manipulating the dopamine levels in your brain to get you to stay longer and do the things they want you to do. Like, it's, it's true. It's happened. It's all those things. So it's, it's the manipulation. So again, I'm, I'm not calling them Balaam's, but it, I mean, it's, it's avenues, right? These are avenues that can be used in many different ways. So this is my best way to explain how the three of these work together, and, and Jesus hates all of them, and there's, they're, they're all culpable in, in the sin and the perverting and the distorting of communities and truth. Um, but basically, you can look at it like this. So if, if there was a guy who um, was having some 
desires and he decided that it was okay for him to indulge those desires in something like pornography. Um, so he is this guy and so he would be practicing the, the way he would be justifying what he is doing through the teaching of the Nicolaitans kind of to go and indulge those desires by looking at pornography. So there, there's, there's sin in that. That's wrong. That's a distortion that's going to ruin the person's soul. No doubt about it. That's sexual immorality and ultimately can lead to idolatry. But on the other side of that screen, there's, there's a woman or, or other things, but let's take a woman. Um, this would be the, the teaching of the Jezebel would, would be a woman justifying, hey, I need money or, or this isn't a big deal or this is a way I can gain power over them. Now I get that sometimes women are you know, forced into, by slavery and different things into these things, but I'm just talking about the, the teaching of Jezebel. Someone who, a woman who's justifying, hey, this is cool because I can get a lot of money or I can get some power over men by selling the images of my body to them. That would be someone who's justifying or practicing the way of Jezebel. Does that make sense? Um, using womanhood, using those things in that, in that regard. The, the, the Balaam, the teaching of Balaam would be the person who is brokering basically this interaction. The person that paid or, or found a way to get the images of the women and then, and then put them in a place where they could market to this man so that the man could have the situation. This person, although they're not actually doing any of the things, they're just as culpable um, and actually mentioned um, as, as, as in, throughout the Bible as this something that God is so against in, in, in creating this, this sexual immorality which can lead to idolatry. Does that make sense? There's, there's different teachings. There's different justifications. Well, it wasn't me. I wasn't doing it. I can't be blamed for it. No, Jesus, Jesus is against that as well. And so these are these, are these things that Jesus was seeing in the community. They, these were practices that, that not necessarily they were teaching as whether they were tolerating. They were allowing these things to come in. And they, and they weren't calling them what they were. They weren't waking up to the reality of how important it is to stand against these things. And they were leaving people susceptible to fall prey to these things. And Jesus was upset about it in those communities. And uh, Satan is the father of lies. Satan is trying to deceive us. He's trying to trick us. There's no doubt about that. As you see the book of Revelation, you see the devil um, constantly counterfeiting everything. The devil is the person who is a cunning serpent. And when the devil comes to us with false teaching, he doesn't come to us and with something that's like hideous, gross, dark, and brutal. That's not the way that the false teachings come. They come as these things that look like angels of light. They come very sophisticated and very beautiful. And actually, it sounds a lot like love. It sounds a lot like truth. That's the way that the devil comes with his schemes. And we've got to wake up to that reality. If we're looking for a vampire to come up here on the stage and be like, this is what you should do, it's not going to happen. That's not the way the devil works. Instead, it'll be something that's really, really sounds so right in so many ways, but it ultimately challenges the authority of God. And basically it's summed up in two things, right? Did God really say? Did God really say this is the way it should be? Did God really say that's a sin? Wasn't really God talking to a different context or culture? They didn't have the internet back then. 
That's a joke. But th- this is the way the devil comes. You know, did God really say you're not supposed to eat of the tree? Or was there some sort of like, or did you mishear that? Or was he referring to something else? And it's just playing around with it. Did God really say? And then the second lie that the devil always brings is if you, if you do this, you will be like God. If you do this, you will gain something. If you do this, you will be happy. And those two lies have been fooling the world from the beginning of time, leading us astray. And it's the same old devil doing the same old strategy in 2021 as he always has been and always will be. And we as the people of God have have got to wake up and see it for what it is and we can't give place to it in our lives, in our families, in our churches. All right, I'm gonna go on a little history lesson now. You ready for that? Okay, so how has this shown up before? Well, think about when Jesus came. The people of God, the Jews that were practicing Judaism, that worshiped Yahweh, they had taken all of the practices, they had taken the way of God that had been passed down to them, and they had twisted it and manipulated it so a few people could be really powerful. And everybody else could feel bad about themselves. And Jesus, when he showed up on the scene, right, he was very against that. He was basically saying, you have taken the truth of God and you've twisted it and perverted it and changed it to something that's very self-serving for you, Pharisees. And, and, it, and it was disgusting and it was wrong and Jesus had to fight against that. And then you go not too much further and you have the book of Galatians that starts out where Paul is talking to the Galatians who received the gospel, who, who had experienced relationship, who were singing the same songs we're singing, that Jesus has set us free, that we couldn't do it on our own, but Jesus came and he washed our sins away. And now we can walk with him and he'll take us to where we need to go and who we need to be. But then Paul says to them, who has come in and bewitched you? Who has come in and started to teach you that it wasn't wasn't enough to just have Jesus, but you also need to be circumcised and practice the works of the law and do all of these things? Who has come in and tricked you with this false teaching that basically has has you on the verge of losing the whole thing? Because that's our tendency. It's like, Jesus, thank you, we've got Jesus, but then it's like, what else? Ooh, what about that? Ooh, that sounds good. Ooh, that sounds important. We're always trying to add to these things. Okay, fast forward a little further. Go to the Reformation, right? You've got the Catholic Church, which at this point is the word Catholic's universal. It's basically the Christian church. And they had gotten to a place where they were now selling something called indulgences, which is basically probably an awesome fundraiser, but so wrong. (laughs) They would tell people, hey, Friday night, I know you got the big party coming up. You know, probably going to get drunk. And when you're drunk, you're probably going to do some things you regret. Hey, let's make you a deal. You give me $100, I as the priest will give you a little indulgence. I will, I will give you a piece of paper that basically you can cash in with the Lord to make sure that sin doesn't stick with you. That's, that, that happened. That was happening. That was a teaching of the church. 
For $100 or whatever, I don't know how much it was, you can, you can buy yourself a covering to go ahead and indulge whatever you need to indulge and then you can come up to church on Sunday and we can give you communion and all that, no problem. Because you got your indulgence. What? And so that's where Martin Luther was like, mm, I don't think that's right. <laughs> and, and he was trying to reform the church. He wasn't trying to create a whole new branch. That's ended up what happened. And you fast forward that again, you can go to Nazi Germany, I was reading about them and what was going on there and where was the church and all of that. And basically there was this idea that, you know, ethno-theism, that, that the Aryan race um, had access to the truth of God and what true righteousness is and what true justice is. And, and if everyone would just fall in line with what we know to be true and right, then the, the whole world would have a peace and an order that everyone really longs for. That was the thought. That was the false teaching. And, and the church in Germany, the Christian church in Germany, the state church for the most part, just went along with it. Now, there were also those who were prudent resistors, who were the true church in that day, and, and they rose up against that, and, a lot, and some of them lost their lives. But they got fooled. And, and in addition to that teaching was that these Jews, who are these prudent resistors, they are the biggest problem keeping us from getting where we need to go, and so six million of them were murdered. And that was like 1940s. It's not that long ago. And so today, what are the things that are trying to add themselves in or work their way into society, into church, into our own lives and families that are demonic deceptions, that the only way we'll really be able to see and know is if the Spirit can help us see them. And by clinging so hard to the truth, we can actually filter them out. Um, I want to read a couple quotes real quick before I name some names. Uh, I, I recommend this book to everybody whose kind of interest is peaked on what I'm talking about. Live No Lies by John Mark Comer. Um, and then there's another book called Beautiful Resistance by John Tyson. I think they're just really, really helpful books right now as we're unpacking this. But in, in, in Live No Lies, John Mark Comer is describing the new battle we have um, in our world. He says, he says, the dirty war is a far more fitting metaphor for our spiritual struggle these days. We're not up against the spiritual equivalent of the German war machine of the last century. It's more akin to bots, deep fakes, insurgency IEDs, and opposing street rallies in Houston between stop Islamification of Texas and save Islamic knowledge that was actually organized by Russian spies via Facebook ads. It's a war between truth and lies. And we laugh, but I, I didn't Google it, but I was going to, like, how many, like, viral kind of, like, um, 
justice campaigns, you know, went through the, 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 the internet last year that were actually created by like, you know, trolls in North Korea or Russia or whatever. I think it'd be very interesting to see. I've heard of a, I've heard of a bunch. Um, this, this, I think, is a really good um, thought from Dan Riccio on this, um, speaking on tolerance. He says, the cr- Christian communities would not bow to the powers of tolerance, um, but while following Jesus, they could also not turn and bow to the idol of indifference or hatred for outsiders either. Um, they needed to love their enemies. Today, some dismiss the idolatrous forms of tolerance, but bow before the God of indifference. Others flee from indifference, but they run right into syncretistic temples of distorted worship. But we're invited to follow our Savior who gives his life on behalf of his enemies, but never compromises the truth. What he's saying here is a couple things. One is how important it is that we don't, um, in our our, hatred of tolerance, like Jesus hates tolerance, that we just kind of go to indifference. That, that would be a wrong thing. But then we can't just be indifferent and, and forget to, to resist on the tolerance side of things. But there's, there's a tendency for us. You know, there are, there are issues that we need to um, improve on and get better on. You know, how the church reacts to racial um, uh, tensions is it was something we've got to continue to get better at. How the church reacts to sexual um, challenges that people go through or gender dysphoria, we've got to get better at these things. We've got to be able to work with people and, 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 and bring the gospel to those people and have those people be able to, to be in our communities and go through these processes and get the healing they need. And so we can't just, we, but, but in our pursuit of that, we can't just become tolerant of every teaching that goes on. We've got to do, we've got to do both things. And I love, and I love what he says here um, about the syncretistic temples. I, whenever Dan tells me something, I usually have to go to a dictionary. But um, syncretism basically sums it up so perfectly. Religious syncretism is this. The replacement or dilution of the essential truths of the gospel through the incorporation of non-Christian elements. You see, the, the leaders of Nazi Germany, they realized that if they could use Christianity as a vehicle to gain power, it would be their best road to the top. And so they did. And then there was this guy named Augustine who was writing about the fall of Rome, and it was this interesting time in the Roman Empire because, you know, for 300 years, Christianity was basically illegal and punishable by death. And then at some point around the middle of the 300 um, 300 AD, the Const- Constantine became the emperor, and he, he made Christianity the uh, Roman religion. Like it was everyone was, now, now it was like you, were, you have to be Christian. And it was an interesting time where everything changed because basically Constantine, don't know, wasn't there, um, but it, it, a lot of people think that he was just using Christianity for political gain. He was practicing the way of Balaam in some ways. He's saying, hey, let's just link our political campaign to Christianity and see how far it can take us. Scary times. And Augustine was, was living at that time and he's going, this don't seem right. <laughs> this is not right. And lots of different campaigns use Christianity. They, they link themselves to Christianity to try and push forward their agenda. And that's what the devil does himself, right? 
Definitely brings some truth, but then he kind of twists it and distorts it as he's bringing those things about. So here's a couple things I think we just need to be awake to. Obviously, materialism. Now basically, God wants to make you materially happy. That's his number one interest in your salvation. That's not, that's not true. Um, individualism. Like most of the time when the Bible in the Old Testament says you, it's, it's a plural form of you. It's like y'all. And so we take all these verses that are for the y'all, and we're like, that's for me. And again, I think there's, you, you can be careful with that, but... But again, you know, when Jesus came to, the, to this revelation, he was writing to all the churches collectively as communities. I think we've got to watch out for that. Um, progressive Christianity, I think, has a lot of mixture that's going to ruin a lot of people in the long run with some of their teachings about how I feel like they're kind of re- redefining or reframing what we received in the beginning and kind of using it to justify some of the means and things they want, even if they have good motives. It's still, it's still a lie. It's still a deception. Critical theory, the vision of everybody being oppressed or oppressors, and ultimately what is in that is, is the more oppressed that you, can, you, you think you are, you can prove yourself to be, the more access you have to truth. And everybody else has less access to truth. And, and, and that, the reason that's a lie is because God is the one who reveals truth. And he is the one that, that owns truth and has a monopoly on truth. And he reveals truth to all those who are seeking his face. And yes, we can learn from those who have gone through hard times. And yes, blessed are the poor in spirit, all of those things, no doubt about it. But, but we can't start saying people have a better understanding of God because of the color of their skin or the things they've been through necessarily. That really quickly can lead to an a Gnostic theism, an ethnotheism. We gotta watch out for that. And then this personhood theory is another thing I think it's important to be aware of. And this is kind of a more generalized scope of, of the conversation where when does life begin? Life begins at conception or at birth or wherever it is. There's kind of a new framework on all of this where now it's life doesn't really begin for a person until they can identify who they really are. So they're not really a person until they decide, am I male, female, am I sexual, homosexual, heterosexual, bi, like, and, and so there's, there's just kind of this reoccurring thing where it's, you're not really a person until you land at that spot. And so the, the, the scary, you know, fallout of those things is that now, you know, when a baby is conceived in the womb, they're just a bag of cells. So it doesn't matter whether that person dies or not because it's not a person. It's not even human yet. Or when a baby is born, because it doesn't know how to identify itself, it doesn't know, it's not a person yet. And it's a, it's a, it's a drastic affront to the Imago Dei that God, the scriptures teach, knit us together in our mother's womb. And yes, we are fallen under a curse and we have disordered desires and there are challenges, no doubt about it. But still, God knows what he's doing. And our biology is very important. It's something that God has created. 
And again, that's not something we should use against people who are struggling and wrestling with those things. That's a truth that we should continue to bring to the forefront, but we got to do it with a lot of grace because some people are dealing with some really, really challenging things. And they need, like Jesus brought, they need grace and truth. But we can't compromise on the truth. And we can't stop laying down our life for them just like Jesus did. So to finish this, to finish this, we got good news. You ready for some good news? God is going to do away with every lie that has ever been told. That is the gospel. That is the promise. Jesus came to set us free. Jesus is the way, the truth, and the life. And there will be a time where he does it all away, and Revelation makes it very clear. Revelation 17 is the great prostitute, right? The great whore of Babylon is described in Revelation 17. And it talks about how the whole world has drunk of the, her idolatries. She's, she's just the syncretistic lady. She's created all of the confusion, all of these things that people have bought into, and yet she is destroyed in Revelation 17. And you know what's revealed in Revelation 21? The bride of Christ. All the devil can do is counterfeit. And there will be a time where all the counterfeits will be done away with forevermore. Revealing what is true. Revelation 18, you have Babylon, the great city of Babylon, which basically represents the world's commerce and religion, all of it put together. The beautiful facade that the devil has built so that we can't really see the kingdom of heaven. And God's promise is that one day it will be completely destroyed. And you know what you see in Revelation chapter 21? You see this new holy city, the new Jerusalem coming down out of heaven, which is true and real and is built by God. And those whose names are in his book get to live there. Revelation 19, the beast and the false prophet, this unholy trinity that has formed the dragon, the beast, and the prophet, they kind of culminate their power in the middle of Revelation, and then in Revelation 19, they are completely destroyed. And you know who they're destroyed by? Jesus. The rider on the white horse is revealed. And at his revelation, all lies, all deceit, all counterfeit is done away with forevermore. Hallelujah. Now, Revelation 20, the dragon is destroyed. Um, the dragon is the one who hides everything, conceals everything. And then in Revelation 22, we see God on the scene and he gives light to everything, reveals everything so they can see clearly what it, what it really is, the truth. Revelation 20, death is destroyed as the counterfeit end of human existence, revealing life everlasting as the true end to human existence for those who are in Christ Jesus. God is going to do away with it all. It's not going to be there forever. And even in a small kind of temporary short way, you know, that we have the verses that, that be not deceived, God is not mocked. Whatever a man sows, he will reap. You will get to see the realization of lies. You will get to see the realization of truth, even in this life. But there will be a day, promised in the book of Revelation, promised by Jesus' own words, that he will come again and he will restore everything. And all that is a lie will be done away with forevermore. And we will see the kingdom as it really is. We will see Jesus as he really is not under the facade of human flesh, but glorified in all of his beauty. What a day of rejoicing that will be. And lastly here, the, 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 the refrain of Revelation chapter 22, verse 18, 
which kind of, again, I think summarizes this whole thing. If you add God, if you add to whatever's written in this book, God will add pl the plagues in this book to you. And if you take away from what is written in this book, then God will take away your share in the tree of life and the holy city. God is very serious about letting his truth and his gospel be what it is and not us adding to it or taking it away or twisting or manipulating it to serve our purposes. That's the message for today. That's what Jesus had against them. Ah. Let's pray. Jesus, I thank you for today. I thank you for your love, your grace. And I thank you that you call us to your table where we can commune with you. Where our sins can be washed away. Where we can practice repentance without fear of punishment, without fear of your disdain. But we can repent and fall into your arms of love. And we can hear you speak your words of cleansing and forgiveness. And I pray right now for those in the room who, who are dealing with some real sinister lies like they married the wrong person. Or if they would just change their identity, they would really be happy. Or if they would just turn their back on you, they'd find peace. Lord, I pray you would come and you would, you would whisper in their ears the truth. And you put your hand of mercy and grace on their shoulders. And you'd give them the joy and the beauty of repentance. And it would lead to a beautiful renewal a renewed hunger and thirst for righteousness. And peace, Lord. The peace that only you can give. Just stay in this place. We're, we're gonna sing a song and but I just really wanna make sure you have time with the Lord in light of all that's being said. And you've got communion in your hands and so when you're ready, you can just take the bread and receive the body broken for you. You can receive the cup, Jesus' blood shed for you. But do this, whether you know Jesus or not, whether this first time or not, this is the time for you to, to build into your relationship with Jesus, to connect with him, to eat with him to receive all that he has for you. And so do that as you're ready.